Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. Hello and welcome to The Python Show. I'm your host, Mike Driscoll. And today I wanted to talk to you about how I write py- books about Python. Now, normally we have a guest on the show, and you know sometimes I just like to talk by myself because I don't have a time. I haven't been able to schedule a guest, or I just feel like let's talk, let's just have some one-on-one time. You can talk to me. You guys can send me your your questions, and maybe I can just uh, do a monologue on it, or maybe I can invite someone on the show. But uh, either way, I just kind of kind of want to open that up to my audience, so that you know if you guys have topics you'd like to talk about, you guys can send that to me. But for this particular one, I'm just going to talk about how and why I write books about Python, because I usually get a lot of questions about that every year. And I think it's kind of an interesting topic. So when I first started thinking about writing a book, it was way, way long time ago. It was like 2015, 2014, somewhere in there, almost 10 years ago now that I think about it. And, you know, I'd actually been pondering writing a book for quite a while. But people kept kept encouraging me and telling me that I needed to write a book, especially the WX Python's users group. There were a lot of people on that on that site that said they really wanted a new WX Python book because there'd only been one published, and it was kind of out of date. Now, back in those days, um, pretty much all of the really niche, uh, very focused topic Python books had a large section at the beginning that taught basic Python syntax. And I thought that was really kind of boring because why would I want to write, you know, 20 to 30% or even more of my book on just basic Python syntax when I really want to focus on how to do WX Python. Now, if you don't know what WX Python is, it's a cross-platform GUI framework for Python that allows you to write um, GUIs for our graphical user interfaces for Linux, Mac, and Windows. And it's probably my favorite one just because I've used it so much. But anyway, so I decided that rather than writing the WX Python book first, I would write a beginner's book called Python 101. And the point of that book would be to just kind of cover the topics that I wanted when I was learning Python. So back then, most of the beginner Python books covered the Python syntax and maybe just a little bit more than that. And so at the end of the book, you'd know how to you know, write a for loop and a while loop and a conditional statement. But I didn't know how to put it together after that book was done. I'm like, how do I download a file? How do I parse, an, parse XML or a CSV or read it in an Excel or anything really useful besides doing like a loop? That kind of stuff didn't really seem to be in the beginner books. And so I wanted to teach um, the syntax of Python, plus how to actually do practical things in it. And another thing that I always thought was weird in any kind of programming book at that time is that they never told you um, after you created like your favorite app, you know, I want to create Notepad or I want to create a simple game. How do I share that game or that application with my friends or family? You know, whether it was Python or C++, or Java, most of those books, they just don't cover that kind of stuff. And I decided that Python 101 should explain how, how to create an, e- an EXE so that you know I could give it to my brother or my friend and they could actually use my code. 
And so that's how Python 101 was born. And originally I was thinking, you know, this this book is going to be just an ebook. I'm not going to publish it in physical format. And so I looked around and there were a lot of tooling out there that I thought I could use to create a book. Um, I mainly looked at for just how to create a PDF with Python and how to do it nicely. And, you know, at that time, restructured text was like the biggest mark markup language for Python. And that, I mean, that's the language that people use or the markup language people use when they're creating documentation for Python. It's what Sphinx is based around. And so that's what I decided to do. I'd write my book using restructured text and I'd use some tooling like uh, Rust to PDF to just like transform the restructured text into a PDF. Well, as I worked on the book, I started getting um, comments from, you know, beta readers who are, are now for readers, just people I'd asked to check it out. And they're like, I really wish this thing, uh, I could read this in EPUB format. And then of course, as soon as more people learned and more and more people started learning about it, they are all asking, hey, uh, is this going to be in paperback? Can I get it uh, on Amazon and et cetera? And I'm like, well, I hadn't planned on it and I don't know how this is going to work, but let's try. And so I did a lot of research. I thought Sphinx could help me out and it could create my table of contents, but I never did get that to work quite right. And as the deadline for my book approached, you know, it was a self-imposed deadline, I decided that I'm just not going to worry about doing a properly linked table of contents. We're just going to put it out there and let people enjoy it for what it is. So I ended up using kind of a hodgepodge of scripts and programs and Python was my glue language to put it all together. So basically what I did is, you know, I used restructured text to create the chapters. Then I used rest to PDF to turn the PDFs into individual or turn the chapters into individual PDFs. And then I believe I was using Py, um, let's see, PDF, Py to PDF, PDF to Py. That's not right. Anyway, I used something like RW, PDFRW or PyPDF to basically staple all the PDFs together into one book. And that was my, my, my master file that I would use to generate the actual paperback for um, creating an EPUB and a Kindle version. Though I found a tool called Calibre, which can basically take in HTML and convert it into EPUB and Mobi, which were the two mobile formats I wanted besides PDF. But how do you create HTML from uh, restructured text? Well, there's another tool called REST to HTML. And I think there's actually a REST to Word too. So if I really wanted to create uh, restructured text into some other format, there seemed to be a tool for pretty much any kind of output that I wanted. So I created a Python script that ran uh, REST to PDF, REST to HTML, I called Calibre, which converted it to Mobi and EPUB. And then of course I used PyPDF2 to staple all the PDFs together into a PDF document. And there you go. I Python 101 was born and I thought I was good to go. Later on, I created Python 201. And I think I, think I did it exactly the same way. I might've cleaned up the scripts a little bit. But I think when I started my third book, which I believe was WX Python Cookbook, I might be getting it mixed up now. But anyway, on my third book, I discovered a, a website called LeanPub, and LeanPub used Markdown instead of restructured text. And the cool thing about LeanPub is that it could create the PDF for me, it could create the EPUB and the, and the Mobi as well. 
And it created a really nice table of contents that I really liked for all three versions. And so I decided to try that out. And that's where I've stayed since then because the nice thing about LeanPub is that you upload the, the markdown files. You can put it in, you can put it into a GitHub and have LeanPub connect to that, or you could put it in um, Dropbox and connect it that way, or you can just work on LeanPub's website. And the files that it generates, you can sell on any website that you want, as well as on LeanPub. So it's super nice, super easy way to create a book. And I really like it. Okay, so the next step in my work as an author is to figure out, you know, what other books do I want to work on? Uh, how do you choose the next topic? For me, I always choose uh, based on uh, what I already know. So, for example, I know a lot about Report Lab, which is a PDF library for Python. And so I really liked using that for creating uh, PDFs. And I thought that would be a great book to write about. I really like the Pillow Library, which is for image processing and stuff like that. I just look and see, you know, this is a this is a, a uh, module I know a lot about. Are there any books about it? Are they recent? Um, how popular is that package on the Python Packaging Index? Uh, stuff like that. That's kind of how I do my research and development to help me like target uh, what I want to write about. But it has to be interesting to me too. People like to ask me, you know, what do you do um, after that? After you create a book, can you update it? Um, what do you do about feedback from readers? Well, for me, I get feedback from readers. If I find find errors, I can update the book. And because I'm an indie publisher, um, I can update the book, you know, within seconds. I can, I can fix it, upload it to Dropbox or GitHub and have LeanPub generate a new version of the book. Usually within you know, probably a 15 minute turnaround time if I wanted to. Amazon is a little bit more con convoluted because they have a little bit of a review process. I'm not sure if it's automated or if there's actually humans who will look at each file that you upload. But regardless, it can take up to 72 hours for or longer to get an update onto Amazon. So I usually, well, um, gather a lot of feedback and, you know, create multiple versions of the ebook before I upload to Amazon, just so I don't have to upload to them very often. And I don't really want to, you know, be bothering people on their Kindles and having their, their book fluctuate underneath them while they're trying to read it. So that's just kind of something to keep in mind. But I, I really do like getting feedback from readers and updating the book. I like being able to price it however I want and to give away books or give coupons away. I think that's really cool about being an indie publisher or an indie author. And so, you know, that's just some of the reasons that I enjoy uh, doing what I do. Now, some people like to wonder, you know, when you write a book, can you make a lot of money on it? I would say for the most part, probably not. Um, if, you, if you already have an audience, you might be able to make books that or sell books that way. Um, you probably won't get rich on it unless you, you charge a lot and you get a lot of sales. But... Uh, you can make enough to like go on a vacation or, you know, pay the, pay the, maybe, maybe pay half the mortgage per month, something like that. It's not, it's not a ton of money, but it, it is nice and it can, it can come in handy. Um, the main thing that I like about it is that de depending on where you sell your book, you can make up to 95% of the selling price. 
So originally when I was selling on Gumroad, I think it was somewhere between 90 and 95% per sale was mine to keep. And they just had the processing fees. Um, that's changed a little bit. I think now they take like 15% or something. So now it's like 85% on Gumroad. LeanPub is similar. I think they're like 70. I get to keep 70% and they keep 20 or 30. Um, Amazon is not great for uh, royalties. You get um, 35%, I believe, for ebooks and. Um, no, I got that backwards. It's seventy percent for eBooks, up to nine ninety nine, nine dollars and ninety nine cents, and it's thirty five percent above that uh, for Kindle books or for paperbacks, and that's just in the USA. For books outside of the USA, the 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 royalties are much less. So, just kind of keep that in mind. Amazon is definitely where you want to put your book, just because that helps prevent piracy to some degree. So make sure you go ahead and upload your books on there, especially an ebook, to help prevent people from trying to say that that's their book. But um, yeah, it's just something to kind of keep in mind. You're not going to make a lot of money, but people always go to Amazon to find um, find their books. So you you definitely want to have a presence on there. But I like having Gumroad and LeanPub, and I've been experimenting with other websites just to see you know where I can make the most bang for my buck. But I, I still feel like Gumroad and LeanPub are probably the best ways to get the most out of each purchase for yourself. But yeah, like I said, unless you're making a lot of sales per month, you're not going to, you know, make a ton. So anyway, um, let's see. When it comes to keeping in touch with readers, I think this is where authors are, probably have, a, have the biggest problem. You really need to think about this. And it's something I'm, I've been working on the last couple of years is... When you create a landing page for your for your book, make sure you capture their email address and, you know, just ask them, is it okay to send you a periodic email, you know, like once every six months? That just lets you, like, keep up with them, see if they have any problems with your book, and let them know if you have a new, new book or course coming out. Um, I didn't really do this at first, and that, and so I don't have a ton of people on my mailing list because of that. And now I feel really silly about that. So keep that in mind if you want to do this sort of thing. You really want to capture those email addresses. And uh, Gumroad does this really, really well. Gumroad will, will capture all that information for you. LeanPub will not. So you really can't email your readers at all through uh, LeanPub except to notify them that you have updates for the books that they purchased. You can't actually send them any kind of email about other other books that you're working on. So that's kind of unfortunate, and I wish I'd, I had researched that better. Um, a lot of people are working on creating um, mailing lists or newsletters, and I think this is probably the best way to keep in touch with, with readers because once they're on your, your newsletter, you know, then they can get a monthly newsletter or a weekly newsletter, and they can just kind of keep track of you know, what's going on with you as you author new new articles or new chapters or new books or, wh or whatever you're working on as a content creator. And so that's that's probably how I'm going to go forward with this. That's why I have the Python Papers newsletter now, is that I feel like I need a better way to keep in touch with my readers. And you can actually sell the newsletter. You can make it free or, you know, charge a monthly fee. I've, I, I do both. 
So, you know, if you're interested in supporting me, go check out the pythonpapers.com. That's a good place to, to support me. It's $8 a month. And what that does is it gives you access to all of the, uh, all the articles in my newsletter. But if you want the free version, you still get, you know, whatever the current articles are up to two weeks old and they just get delivered to your inbox. So you won't be able to like read the archives for free, but you can get, you know, starting today, you'll just get whatever the new stuff is, which is still pretty good. Um, Anyway, that's that's how I'm how I've decided to keep in touch with my readers, but I will occasionally um, use Gumroad to send out a, a major announcement for a new new content that I'm working on. So, for example, I'm working on a book about Jupiter Lab, and when it's closer to release, I'll probably send out a broadcast using Gumroad and my newsletter. Just let everyone know, hey, the book's ready. You guys can come check it out. Um, some people wonder, you know, how do I find time? to work on books and blogs and everything else. Um, the first thing I do is for anything, whether it's an article or, or a book, is I figure out what I'm going to write about. I outline it. I, and by outlining it, I mean I create headers for the chapter or for the article. And then I go ahead and create um, the code. Sometimes I create the code first, but usually I, I create the headers first to kind of give me a guideline of how much code I need to write. Then I create the code, and then if I need any screenshots, I add those too, and then I am ready to actually write the, the chapter or the article. So first step, outline. Second step is code. Third step is any kind of screenshots or figures you want to add, and then you actually write it. I find that that makes the chapter um, writing process much, much easier, at least for me, and I feel like it helps me uh, scope out the article or the chapter so that I don't try to cram too much into it. Um, the other thing that I, I will do when it comes to time management is I will try writing a couple of chapters and then I'll look at how long it took to write, you know, three or four chapters. And I can then estimate, you know, I have 20 chapters. It took me, you know, four weeks to write three chapters. Then I can estimate out roughly how long it will take me to finish 20 chapters. And then, you you know, you probably want to add 50% to that because you'll have sickness and vacation and who knows what else. You might have writer's block. And so you can use that and use that as a rough guideline to figure out, you know, how well stuff is going to work. So for me, sometimes I can write two chapters in a week. Sometimes I can write three. Sometimes I can't even get one written because I'll have a, a mental block. I just can't figure out how to explain a concept nicely. And it just takes a while. Most of the time that doesn't happen for me, but I know a lot of people will struggle with how do I explain, you know, this com complicated subject. So that's kind of how I do it. All right. The other thing I wanted to talk about in this is that some people really think you should get a publisher and publishing publishers are nice. Um, the main thing you need to think about when you uh, think about going to the publisher is it's not going to make you anything like it would if you sold by yourself, most likely. Um, the reason being that they usually give royalty rates of around 10% or less. Some of them go all the way up to 17%. And that's for the physical book, typically. The ebook version is usually much less. And ebooks are what most people sell nowadays. So you're probably not going to make a ton that way. In fact, if they give an advance, you have to wait for that advance to be paid back to the, the publisher. So, you know, if you get like a $1,000 advance, 
um, and you get a 10% royalty rate. And let's say the book sells for, I don't know, 50 bucks. That means for every every uh, book that you sell, every paperback book that you sell, the company will put $5 to the side and that's your royalty. But that has to go against the, the amount that they prepaid you in the advance. So, you know, you sell, you, you sell 10 books, that's $50 from the $1,000 advance that you got. And it can take a long time for those books to sell enough copies that you actually uh, burn down that ad, that advance. For me, it took me multiple years before I finally started making a little bit of money from af- after my advance. And I thought my books were fairly popular. So uh, just keep that in mind that, 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 you know, that's just the way it goes. The cool thing about having a publisher is you might get an editor. Uh, thoroughly research the publishers to figure out whether they have good editors. I've heard that No Starch Press and O'Reilly and um, the Pragmatic Programmer all have good, robust uh, authors or and editorial teams. They just they help you along the way. I think Manning is also one of the good ones. So if you really need that kind of help, I I would recommend one of those uh, companies. That's that's probably the biggest benefit in my opinion of having. Um, a publisher is that you'll have that extra help you know, behind you. On the other hand, just note that they'll be pressuring you to get the book done. You know, they have deadlines too, and that'll be hanging over your head a lot more with an actual publisher. The other thing that I don't care for about publishing is that I don't get to have any control over coupons or if I need to fix little things that bug me in the book. You can't do that with a publisher because you'll have to rewrite a much larger portion of it if, if you can even convince them that you need a second edition. So just uh, keep that kind of stuff in mind. There's nothing wrong with going to the publisher. It looks good on your resume, your CV. And then, frankly, I think if you self-publish, it looks just as good on your, on your resume or CV. And that right there could be a good reason to write a book. All right. I think that covers all the topics I wanted to talk about. I'm sorry it wasn't as organized as I'd planned it out to be. But I hope you found that this... Uh, chit chat about content creation, especially about around books was helpful. And feel free to like send me any questions um, on Substack or by email or on Twitter. I'm on Twitter too. You can just ask me any questions that you have about the process. Thanks so much for listening. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. 